Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... When someone is sick, there is little they won't try to extend their life expectancy and stay on this earth as long as they can. On December 18, 1867, a woman was born who would go on to create a method of healing that would end up costing many people their lives. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Linda Laura Hazard, formerly Burfield, was born on December 18, 1867, as one of eight children. At just 18 years old, she married and, pretty quickly, welcomed two children into her life. But by 1898, she left her husband and children to pursue her career in Minneapolis. Despite the fact that she never obtained any sort of medical degree, Linda started a long and quite infamous career in the field of medicine. More specifically, in the practice of medical fasting. Over the years, Linda wrote two different books where she explained and championed the science of fasting and how it could cure almost any human disease. The first book was called Fasting for the Cure of Disease, and the other was Scientific Fasting, the Ancient and Modern Key to Health. Linda's methods, though not entirely unique, claimed that the root of any and all disease lay in the food that you eat more specifically how much food one consumes. The path to true health, according to this fasting specialist, was to periodically let the digestive system rest through periods of fasting that could last days or even longer. Things like vegetable broth could be consumed in very small amounts and patients were encouraged to have their systems flushed with a combination of daily enemas and vigorous massages. Now, the practice of fasting is not a new one, with ancient Greeks using it to exercise demons, historical figures feeling as though, combined with prayer, it could help issues like the Salem witchcraft, quote, epidemic, and figures like Jesus Christ practicing the art of fasting. The practice was then revived in the late 19th century when a doctor named Edward Dewey wrote a book in which he claimed, quote, every disease that afflicts mankind develops from more or less habitual eating in excess of the supply of gastric juices. Speaking of a former patient and later publisher who was miraculously cured after a fast. More books followed and people like Linda took it upon themselves to share their expertise. Linda, however, did seem to take it to the next level. By 1902, when the ink on her divorce papers were barely dry, Linda lost her first patient to her starvation methods. 
The coroner in the case tried to have her prosecuted, but due to the loophole that allowed her to practice without the official licensure, Linda was never held accountable for the death. When asked about the victim's valuables, Linda became evasive. Shortly after the death or murder, depending on who in town you asked, Linda met and married a man named Samuel Christman Hazard, a West Point graduate who ruined his promising military career by misappropriating army funds. A man who always seemed to have a drink in his hand, was a lecher, a swindler, and had been married twice before, not bothering to get a divorce from the second one before getting married to Linda. Between her new husband and the theories about her medical practice, human opinion was not on Linda's side. So after Samuel finished his prison sentence for bigamy, the pair upped and moved to Washington State to try and start over, purchasing a 40-acre spread of land in the town of Olaya, which she named Wilderness Heights, with the anticipation of one day opening a sanitarium there. Linda was now allowed to practice medicine with licensure in Washington State through another loophole that grandfathered in practitioners of alternative medicine and allowed them to work without degrees. Taking full advantage of that, Wilderness Heights started to attract hundreds of followers. Many swore by Linda's methods for healing and praised her as a gifted and intelligent healer of any and all ailments. However, when looked at with a more level-headed microscope, from 1907 to 1913, at least 14 of Linda's patients in Washington died during their treatment, not including the previous patients who died while she was in Minnesota. Nicknamed the Starvation Doctor and renaming Wilderness Heights to Starvation Heights, a number of people passed through the Institute's doors with the most notable being a pair of British sisters named Claire and Dorothea Williamson. As the story goes, Claire and Dora, orphan daughters of a very well-to-do English Army officer, arrived at Wilderness Heights in February of 1911 after seeing an ad for the Institute in a local newspaper while staying at a hotel in Victoria, British Columbia. You see, though not seriously ill, the sisters thought that they were suffering from a variety of minor ailments, with Dora complaining of swollen glands and rheumatic pains and Claire being told that she had a dropped uterus. The pair were firm believers in alternative medicine and had given up both meat and corsets in an attempt to improve their health. Desperate for more results, they arrived at Linda's Institute of Natural Therapeutics in Olaya and began what Claire called her, quote, most beautiful treatment. However, not everything was as it seemed. The ad boasted about the Institute's countryside setting with large grazing fields of horses and fresh vegetable broths made from produce picked from a neighboring farm, a bit of paradise to accompany their treatment. But when they arrived, they were told that the sanitarium wasn't quite ready yet, and instead, the girls were set up in an apartment on Seattle's Capitol Hill where she began feeding them broth made from canned tomatoes just one cup a day and nothing more to go with their four-hour-long enemas in a covered bathtub in case they passed out. By the time they were transferred to Linda's home in Olaya, two months later, they both weighed about 70 pounds each. Unfortunately, none of the girls' family knew they were there. They were so used to their disapproval that they didn't even tell any of their family about their latest treatment. The only indication that something was amiss came when they sent a cable to their childhood nurse, who was visiting family in Australia. It only contained a few words, but it was nonsensical enough for Margaret Conway to buy a ticket and go check on them. 
She was met in Vancouver by Samuel Hazard, and while on the bus heading towards her hotel, the stranger delivered some heartbreaking news. Claire, it seemed, had passed away just recently, and according to Linda, Margaret was the one to blame. With her expertise, Linda said that the drugs that Claire was given when she was a child shrunk her internal organs and caused cirrhosis of the liver, claiming she was basically one foot in the grave before she even arrived to her beautiful treatment. Margaret knew something was wrong and had her suspicions confirmed when she went to the local mortuary to find an already embalmed Claire looking like a completely different woman. Everything about her looked off. Her hands, facial shape, and even the hair color looked all wrong. This was all made worse when Margaret finally got to Olaya and found Dora weighing about 50 pounds with her bones protruding so far from her body, she was unable to sit down. Margaret begged Dora to come with her, but despite the fact that she was clearly starving to death, Dora was convinced she was being treated. Linda, it seemed, despite only knowing the girls a few months, was now the executor of Claire's considerable estate and Dora's legal guardian, signing over her power of attorney to Samuel Hazard. The Hazards, who had already helped themselves to Claire's belongings and about $6,000 worth of diamonds, delivered the news to Margaret dressed in some of Claire's clothing. Not knowing what to do, Margaret reached out to John Herbert, one of the sister's uncles. After some haggling, John paid the Hazards nearly $1,000 in exchange for Dora's freedom. As Dora's family and the rest of the world were about to find out, the Williamson girls were far from the Hazards' first victims. In 1908, a patient named Elgin Cox died while receiving Linda's treatment, as well as Daisy Maud Hagland, mother of Ivar's restaurant founder, whose official cause of death was stomach cancer. She was under Linda's care for about 50 days. There was also Ida Wilcox, Blanche B. Tyndall, and Viola Heaton. In 1909, Eugene Stanley Wakeline died of a bullet wound to the head on Linda's property, but whether or not she was responsible for his death remains unknown. Many believe it was a case of suicide. She, like in other cases, was the administrator of his estate and drained all of his funds post-mortem. 1910 saw the deaths of Maude Whitney and Earl Edwards Edmund. 1911 saw Frank Southard, C.A. Harrison, Ivan Flux, Claire Williamson, and Louis Ellsworth Rader, who owned the property where her sanitarium was located. The place where patients fasted for days, weeks, or even months on a diet of tomato and asparagus juice, and the occasional small teaspoon of orange juice. Patients who sang her praises despite the consistent deaths of their fellow patients. Though dozens died while under Linda's care, some believe her death total is significantly higher than what is documented. Finally, on August 15, 1911, the authorities had enough of starvation heights, and Linda Hazard was arrested on charges of first-degree murder for starving Clara Williamson to death. That following January, her trial began to crowds of spectators who were desperate to hear the news of what was really going on at Wilderness Heights. Servants and nurses testified to hearing the sisters cry out in pain during their treatments, regaled the jury with stories of hours-long enemas and scalding baths, with the prosecution giving information on financial starving Linda was committing by forging checks and letters and making herself the executor and sole beneficiary of many of her patients' wills. To make matters worse, 
There was speculation that Linda was in cahoots with the local mortuary, switching Claire's body for a more healthy-looking one so no one would see her skeletal-like remains and raise any questions. This, however, was never proven. Linda, of course, denied any and all involvement in Claire's death or the deaths of any of her other patients. According to her books, Linda believed that, quote, death in the fast never resulted from deprivation of food, but is the inevitable consequence of vitality sapped to the last degree by organic imperfection. Meaning, if you die during a fast, it's because something else, something deadly, was already present in your body. She believed wholeheartedly that this trial was nothing more than an attack on her position as a successful woman and the ever-present, even by today's standards, battle between the conventional and holistic medicine. Many in the medical field stood by her side and called her the consummate professional, while others saw her as a heartless murderer looking to make some money. The jury, after a short deliberation, found her guilty of manslaughter and Linda was sentenced to 2 to 20 years of hard labor in Walla Walla. Her medical license was later revoked, and though she was later pardoned by the governor for reasons unknown, that license was never reinstated. She was released on parole on December 26, 1915. While she sat in prison, more patients passed away as a result of her treatment. There was Mary Bailey, Ida Anderson, Robert Graham, and Fred Ebsen, who was being supervised by another expert in fasting. After her release and full pardon, Linda and Samuel Hazard moved to New Zealand, where she worked as a dietitian and osteopath until 1920. That's when she returned to Olaya to finally build that sanitarium of her dreams. It burned down in 1935, and two years later, Linda fell ill and underwent a fast of her own to cure her ailments. She died on June 24th, 1938, in the middle of her fast. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on December 19th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.